Oilers Entertainment Group Chief Executive Officer Bob Nicholson's recent comments about Edmonton Oilers forward Tobias Reeder, who hasn't scored a goal all season. Nicholson blamed Reeder for the team's failure to secure a playoff spot at a recent season ticket holder's breakfast. Turn Nicholson into a lightning rod among many Oilers fans, a figure onto which they turned their frustrations over yet another losing season. 12 of the last 13 of them out of the NHL playoffs. I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Rob Tuchkowski. And I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to these hockey beat writers for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun about Readergate and about the Oilers approaching the end of the season on the outside looking in, while other Canadian teams prepare for the postseason, including their Alberta rivals, the first place Calgary Flames. About Miko Koskinen and the Oilers' goaltending situation moving forward. And a bit about Ken Hitchcock and coaching the Oilers. In the Oil Spills podcast for Tuesday, March 26th, 2019. Well, there's a... Lots of shame to go around this season. As usual, it's 12 of the last 13 years. There's plenty of shame. Finishing, you know, usually low, low on the table. The Edmonton Oilers, you know, I'm tempted to say one of the biggest shames is that we're not going to see a Battle of Alberta this year because that possibility exists. I know it's existed in the past, but it's not very often. I mean, the Calgary Flames are the first Western Conference team to hit the 100-point mark. They just did it recently. And uh, so they're going to finish in first. So, darn it, Oilers, can you please run the table, win your last seven games? Of course, everybody else is going to have to not do very well. And I don't know, I guess you can't just uh, forfeit games just for that. But then we could have a our first Battle of Alberta since, what, 1991? But I guess it wouldn't be much of a battle, would it? Mm-hmm. Geographically. <laughs> <laughs> You never know. Maybe the emotion can ride into it, and that yeah. might. If I had to pick one team, the Edmonton Oilers could upset in the first round. It would probably be Calgary, just because of the all the trappings that go along with it. And you know, you know, so Edmonton goes seven and zero, and everybody else goes three and four. Then yeah, they they get in, I suppose. But uh, it would have been great, and it wasn't that far off. Like, it's not that the Edmonton Oilers are any good, but just that the way this season went, you know, with everybody historically low, it wouldn't have taken much. You know, a couple of, you know, beat a couple of those teams that you should have beaten, like Ottawa and Jersey, and, you know, not give away some of those easy points that they've given away with third period collapses. They could have been right there. They know they don't deserve to be, but they could have been. And it would have been a, a heck of a series, and you never know. But, you know, instead it's 12 and 13. Yeah. I mean, how many points is a eighth spot in the NHL? I mean, the Western Conference, what is that? They're going to get in with less than 90 points or. That's what it seems to be. The orders have 74 right now with seven left. And they're, you know, however many points back. Geez, you think I looked at the standings too, but I wasn't looking to see because I think in my mind I've already given up. Well, given up Columbus is not in the playoffs in the East and they got 86. Yeah, I know. Well, obviously that's just the, that's so, the tale of the tape in the Western Conference this year. A whole lot of mediocre below five teams. You know, six, seven, eight spots are... You know, anybody could, well, up until recently, I mean, almost anybody could have grabbed them. Even Vancouver has a chance. The problem with the, this is the Oilers can beat Dallas at home, and they theoretically could beat Colorado. But they've also got Vegas in there. 
and you know maybe San Jose and Calgary mail in the games at the end of the year I don't know maybe the last two games but you know when they can't beat Jersey at home and they can't beat Ottawa at home what makes you think they can beat every team they play this week at home well, and not did. give away you know not they've given away four points the loss to Jersey got nothing an overtime win in, in Arizona and yeah. one point against that's four points they'd have 78 so just in the last week, you know, week and a half, they've given away four points. You know, there's there's, there's ebbs and ebbs and peaks and valleys. You know, when it comes to teams playing, but heading into that Jersey game, Evanston had had a good record. They had won well, their previous 10, 12 games. They had beaten some very good teams. I mean, it just depends on where everybody is. Are they heading up to the peak? Or are they on their way down to the valley? It depends on where you're going to be playing these guys. I mean, so who knows? Maybe by the time you're playing San Jose and Calgary in those last two games. They're thinking ahead to the first round. You never know. Could happen. <laughs> I know we've been saying this for months now, though. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it would be a miracle. Be, that would be something. And you're right. I mean, if, if that did somehow happen and the orders won a few, if not every one of these seven games, but let's say they went six and one and somehow some way snuck in, that would be a, that would be a huge boost for them heading into a first round date with Calgary. And then it's Calgary on top of that. I mean, you know, you're in a fantasy land. I know I'm in a fantasy <laughs> land. That's They're all not, we got. It's not this, happening. This, it's these not, are the playoffs here in Edmonton. Yeah, a better record than five other teams. You know, the that's, season's uh, going to end here in what a week and a half, and then that's it. Yeah. Anybody who's a dyed, dyed the wool, orange and blue type, who doesn't like watching anybody but Edmonton, well, that's it for them. The six more months. We'll see you in six months. You know, go and uh, you know wait for the grass to grow so we can go golfing. Well, and we get to watch all these other, you know, like you know. Calgary go what two three rounds deep and mm-hmm. how are the Jets going to do and you know there's so much good stuff going on in the league right now and you know you oh, and fans that. are on the outside watching this man it's just it's it's tough you know mm-hmm. no I agree with you it'll be tough yeah you're right it's fantasy land but that's, that's all we got is fantasy land here we used to have fantasy land here now it's galaxy land in the mall anyway well I do want to I know it's kind of it is in the past but uh and it's a few days late doing this podcast on a monday but bob nicholson did uh the whole tobias reader thing from last week during one of his uh season ticket holder breakfast clubs um you know i think most people who are listening to this podcast know what we're talking about but basically you know bob you know hung orders not making the playoffs or using the example of tobias reader not scoring all year as you know, one of the things, if not, I don't, I don't want to say he meant it was all his fault because right. I think he didn't. <laughs> anybody with you know a reasonable amount of intelligence understands he's saying the secondary scoring is is a major reason why we're not even in the playoffs. Yeah, which is true. We outside of McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins, nobody's scoring any goals on a regular basis, and that's that sewered us among other things. So I, you know, I, you know, and Rob, you touched on it today in your column. Um, you know that Nicholson's comments made him into a lightning rod for uh, very frustrated fans. Yeah, no, nobody like let's be honest, nobody cares about Tobias Reader. Like, ask Justin Schultz and Tom Pody how the fans react to somebody who's underachieving really badly or, or not playing well. It's like the same people that were ripping on Nicholson were just ripping on Tobias Reader a couple of days earlier. So the fans here are just fed up and they're looking for a reason to any reason whatsoever to to rip on management and that's and and he gave him one it was a stupid thing to say but it was an honest answer to a question and a lot of it was true like Tobias Reader you know uh, you know 
has missed a lot of chances. He has underachieved. He has just had a very poor season. Uh, the fact that, you know, he, he it came out that, uh, you know, if he scores 12 more goals, they make the playoffs is, you know, a, a bit strange, but, you know, he didn't, he didn't necessarily mean that. Like you were saying earlier, it was, it was one of the main reasons it was the secondary scoring, but people in this market are, are fed up with the way the Oilers have been for 13 years and the way they do things. And, and if you give them half a reason from here on in to jump on you, they're going to take it. And that's, that's what we saw here. It was a massive fire over something that, to be honest, wasn't wasn't that big of an issue. But what would have happened if he'd said Milan Lucic is one of the re- is the reason we didn't make the playoffs? Would no, the fans would the, would it just be doubled down? I mean, or, or who, would they say, you know what? Yeah, he's right. Yeah, well, who signed Lucic? They'd say. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what they're they're the the out would be. Oh yeah, so you guys signed Lucic. So yeah, people here are upset, and you, what are you going to do? Blame them? It's thirteen years is a long time, man. Like that is a long time to to be out of the playoffs. In a, in a city that will do anything they can to support you and help you and be with you through thick and thin, it great it wears on everybody. You see all these other markets enjoying themselves and having fun and looking about, you know, a two or three round run. Maybe you know, a, a, you know, Calgary has a shot at a cup. Winnipeg has a shot at a cup. Toronto thinks it's already a dynasty, but you know, those those cities are having fun. And here here here's Edmonton. You know, like who's the coach next year? Who's the president of hockey operations? Who's the GM? Who are the who are the good players that they're going to add to this mix? It's just, ugh, you know, people are people are upset, and uh, if you if you give them half a chance, they're going to jump on you for it. The Oiler fan is always flipping the calendar till next year. They're never thinking, except for the one year. They're always they're always looking, forced to look ahead to what might be next year, as opposed to living in the present, which is what happened a couple of years ago when they got a hundred points and. You know, almost got to the conference final, but all the other years they're they're talking about you know who they can sign in the summer. They're going to trade this guy, or they, where are they going to pick in the lottery? It gets a little tiresome after a while. I gotta wonder. I mean, you know, it was four years ago when the Oilers won the lottery and the, the right to draft McDavid, and obviously that bought them that bought them some time. That led to uh, Nicholson hiring Peter Shirelli as the GM, and it led to Todd McClellan being brought in as the coach. Here we are four years later, one playoff appearance, and, uh, you know, three other disappointing seasons, particularly the last two, um, because they did make the playoffs. They did get 103 points in 2017, two years ago. They did make it to the second round of the playoffs, and since then, they've obviously been a big disappointment in this in this market, and adding on to the extended decade of darkness. Um, but i got to wonder... At what point do people finally do vote with their wallets? I mean, I know that it's been three years since Roger Place opened. There are some uh, some suites up for renewal. Every single year, there's always people who have to make choices on tickets and whatnot. But the building is always, you know, uh, spoken for. Whether it's full every game, every ticket is bought. And that, to me, is the only way. And I'm sure that Daryl Cates and, and Nicholson and anybody else – and the Oilers Entertainment Group executive realizes that, you know, they're probably going. Mm, I don't want to know if people we're only going to we're going to have a situation like we do in Ottawa, where they don't have a full building every night, like every other arena in Canada. I mean, I, I don't know. It, I mean, we talk about that from time to time too. It's like, well, you got to vote with your wallet, folks. But you know, this is Edmonton. This is one of the most passionate hockey markets in the NHL. You know, it's in Canada, so. Everybody follows the game closely, or you know, the majority of fans do. 
Well, you can't have, they keep trumpeting 542 straight sellouts, but there's an awful lot of seats that are not occupied. You yeah, know, in the can, secondary market now, you can pick up a, yeah. a ticket for 20 bucks. And so you, and that's it's nice true to say if the tickets are all sold, and they all are. But if they weren't worried about the season ticket holders, they wouldn't be having seven to nine breakfast-type right. things with the management and you know offering them this and that to make sure they come back again. But, you know... What's the fan in Edmonton going to do? You know, is he going to suddenly say, I'll just watch it on, on TV? Most of them are still going to go to the games because Connor McDavid's on the team. He's mm-hmm. the best player in the league, so you want to see him live. You don't want to see him on TV. So, Like I said, if this mar- if this team was in any other market, maybe in a non-Canadian market, it, w- it would have been... It would have folded or relocated years ago. You can't. No other city is going to miss the playoffs twelve times in thirteen years and have more than seven or eight thousand people in in the building. That's just the way it goes. And the Oilers have sort of caught some. Well, I wouldn't say breaks, but they've just you know people were people were fed up and they were ready to tune out. And we've had enough of this. We're out of here. And, oh, boom! They win the lottery. So Connor McDavid gets him a couple more years and, you know, things don't go so well. And we're like, okay, we've, we're fed up. We're, we're out of, oh, they're going to open the brand new arena. You can't lose your seats to the brand new arena. Then they make the playoffs. So, they, you know, every so often they get these little, these little hooks that pull everybody back in. It's like when you're birdie 18, right? You want, you want to come back. But uh, I don't know what they do this summer to, to get that hook back in the people because, it, you know, a new coach or GM isn't going to do the job because they just had some high-profile coaches come through here. It didn't, didn't move the needle at all. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do in the summer to get those people back because empty promises aren't going to work. It's going to it's going to take some action to, you know, make sure that they're sold out again. And I talked to a lot of people who just like at what point does it end? Like how they keep throwing money at these guys, they keep raising ticket prices and they never they never make the playoffs. It's something has to give one way or the other. I guarantee the Oilers would be voting for a play-in every year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even though that extends the the season you know that's the only way they can make the playoffs so birdieing a hole what's that <laughs> most of us would be happy with a par on 18 what's a birdie i suppose daryl cates you know he's not one to ever speak about his team in public i mean i can't remember the last time he ever he's not eugene melnick that's better than no that. he's the opposite of eugene melnick and you know and that's probably a, a wise thing to do to an extent i mean obviously people are wanting to know what he thinks but he chooses not to do that. Obviously, Bob Nicholson is, I would have to say, his his mouthpiece on all things Oilers. So that's the way it is. But um, yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, I remember back in the 90s, you know, people mad at Pocklinson for completely different circumstances. But, you know, and then the building, you know, they didn't have a very good team in the mid 90s, but, you know, there were people voting with their wallets back then. Different circumstances, though. No salary cap back then. Uh, obviously, the economic times for Canadian teams were f- across the country. If you weren't Toronto or Montreal, I guess, but even Montreal had its struggles too. Different times, but yeah, it can't. It does happen. I mean, you got be mad enough at the owner, you're not going to go to the games. I'm not giving that guy my money. Well, it's yeah. I mean, up until this point, there hasn't been really a reason for him to make these changes. The building was sold out every night anyway. So if you had a Say you had a pizza place and, you know, you made the crappiest pizzas in town and all your, you and your buddies were making these pizzas and they were terrible, but the people were lined up around the block to get your pizzas. Why would you fire your buddies? Right. You know, they're making tons of money. People are lined up around the corner to eat eat my crappy pizza. I'm not changing a thing. 
So, you know, maybe if, maybe if the, if the, the market slows down a little bit, but even, even aside from that, like the, those playoff gates, that's real money. Like if you're talking, say, let's say five home games a year for 10 years at 2 million a game, you're looking at almost a hundred million dollars they've left on the table by not making the playoffs. And that's the stuff that, that resonates with a businessman like Kate's like, this is really cool. And I own the Oilers and Gretzky's hanging around and all this stuff, but a hundred million is a hundred million. You know, if, if this team was competitive and making the playoffs and going two or three rounds deep, that's, that's legit money. And, and you can't, you know, as rich as he is, you can't turn your back on that for very long. And I like to think that, you know, of course, well, Daryl doesn't talk about it because we never hear from him. We're not, we're not talking about Harold Ballard here. We're not talking about Eugene Melnick. I mean, he, you know, rightly or wrongly, whether he put his trust in the wrong people to go find, you know, the likes of Peter Shirelli and, you know, and hiring Todd McClellan, at least to make it, the, that effort was there to try to address a need on the coaching and management side. Um, so I like to think that, you know, who knows, <laughs> maybe eventually, yeah. You know, you roll the dice and, and you'll you know get it right. I mean, whether it's by somehow, some way hiring, you know, for the GM post, Kelly McCrimmon or whatever, whatever the right move is, um, you know, so the effort is there. Oh, and when he hired Shirelli and McClellan, everybody was thinking like, hey, this, you know, Shirelli's a respected guy, not far off a Stanley Cup, got the Oilers to the playoffs within a couple of years. McClellan is a very well-respected coach, still is, should, still should be, you know, the, who knew that that Shirelli was going to dismantle that team? Like if, if those moves hadn't been made, they'd they'd have been okay. And the question remains now: Was this like a, a Lee Harvey Oswald situation? Was it one man acting alone, or was it you know a, a concert of all these people that you know got together and said you know we're trading Hall, we're trading Eberle, we're we're bringing in Lucic? Like those are the decisions that that are just killing them right now. Like if you had just you know some of those guys back and and not the Milan Lucic contract. This team's in great shape. You know, there's there's pieces to to move and 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 ways to go forward. And it's just, you know, that little stretch of Shirelli's moves just cut the legs out from everything. And the talk the talk around the team is that Shirelli had autonomy mm-hmm. up until the Koskinen signing, apparently, right? Well, yeah, the, the Hall trade was everybody sat down for that one. It was the owner and Nicholson and and Shirelli, and they said, okay, this is we have to do this. We had to shake up the culture of yeah. losing. Except they picked the wrong guy to trade. <laughs> yeah, um, didn't quite work. <laughs> no, didn't work real well. And, Not really. And, and you know, they just stuck with Hall and Eberle. They'd have Hall and Eberle and Nugent Hopkins and Drysaitel and Connor. That's two pretty good lines. Yeah. And then just bring in some veteran, some strong veteran guys who can. Because remember, these are just kids like Hall and Eberle. These are just young kids who were handed thirty-six million dollar contracts. Right? Of course, they're going to be. You know, uh, of course, they need some some adult supervision, and those they should have brought in those players, the leaders, to help those guys get through that and turn them into the kind of culture that the you know all pro teams want. And they didn't have it. Those guys were basically in charge of the team, and they were too young to be in that position. And there you go. Like for a while, they had like Horkoff and Morrow that were, you know, the veteran the, the veteran presence in the yeah. room. And then they kind of they they moved those guys out, and and that was that. They didn't they didn't really replace them, and. Uh, you know, they had this culture that went a little bit sideways and instead of bringing in people to fix the culture or sitting those guys down or waiting till they mature just a little bit, they got rid of them and uh, that was a big mistake. Well, they, the only thing they've ha- seemed to have got through their thick skull is that these young players should just stay in the minors except for Pugliarvi. But the other ones, you know, Benson and Marathi and 
you know, Yamamoto and, and and some of their young defensemen just stay in the minors. We'll we'll try to patch with some other players um, for the time being. But there's been so many other failed attempts to jam draft picks on our roster that weren't ready. You know, I brought up Koskinen, and I'll go back to him because you know last week's big news, and I guess even from the from the weekend game, the loss to Ottawa. I mean, Koskinen and how solid or not solid he's been in net. His glove hand being called into question, being uh, ex- you know having that repeatedly exposed as a weak side or whatever, but I guess the begs the question of what's going to happen moving forward. I mean, clearly Koskinen's here for an, they signed it to a, a new deal here uh, just before they fired Chiarelli, so he's he's a goalie in the near future for the Oilers. But who's going to be the who's going to be the number two? I mean, and Maddie, you were tweeting about that today I mean you could just bring up Shane Sterrett from Bakersfield and install him as the backup but I think they need to have a veteran netminder but I mean that's what they did last year different circumstances Laurent Bossois was spinning his wheels as the backup to Cam Talbot so you trade for Al Montoya this is slightly different I mean Sterrett's never played an NHL game and uh, but then you've got Koskinen who I don't know can't you can't rely on him to be a 60-game starter for the Oilers next year. So you were throwing out the name, a guy like Peter Mrazek, who will be an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, we've talked about the potential free agent pool for goalies. It's pretty pretty average. I mean, outside of Sergei Bobrovsky, who will command a lot of money and is out of the Oilers' range, even if he wanted to come here. But I don't know, is there would there be any value in trying to acquire a number one goalie who could, you know, conceivably be the starter over Koskinen, even no. though he already spent all that money on him. No. They've already taken that step down that road that it's Koskinen. I just don't see him as a 60-game goalie. He hasn't proven to me that he's a number one goalie in the league. He plays well for a while. I don't see the consistency. I know you're playing behind the order defense and and team defense I'm talking about, not just the defenseman. So you're exposed more, but you know, I just to me he he's shown that he can play some good games, and then when he doesn't have a good game, it's not a good game. It's not even an average game. It's just not a good game. His consistency to me is is still lacking as to whether he can be Cam Talbot where he can play seventy. I just so far I don't I don't see it. Yeah, I you have to find some sort of a veteran presence in there who can you know you know guide the ship if if things get a little rough and i wouldn't i wouldn't bring the kid up from the ahl because the worst thing you can do is put a, a young goalie on a bad team you know we saw where, where's lauren Bassois now hey he's doing okay guess what i'm playing for the jets i'm a good goalie i'm playing for the Oilers. i'm not very good right you know devin dudnick to a lesser extent he had a longer look but it's very easy to 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 blame a goalie on a bad team and and koskinen has let in a, a lot of softies but uh yeah i i, I would be a little hesitant because you know, suddenly you fix a lot of different areas on your team, and you realize next November that oh, gracious, our goalies uh, aren't good enough, and we're losing games that way. I've seen a lot of teams have their, a lot of decent teams have their seasons sewered because of something like that, and Edmonton can't leave itself exposed in that way. They ha- they have to, they need a really solid plan B signed and ready to go next season. So one of those free agent goalies, they yeah. need to target one. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think they made it very clear that. They felt Koskinen was a starter, 
They don't want a one and a one A. They don't want a one A, one and a one B. They don't want that because uh, they had that before and it didn't work real well with Talbot and Goskin in this season. So, but you know you can't go into a season without some goalie as a backup. I don't think um, who's played you know a fair number of games in the NHL, even if it's you know if you can get a guy for a million and a half or something like that. Still, only six million dollars in a goalie, which some teams got six million just for the one goalie. They didn't start out the season with the one A one B though. I mean, you know, I mean, I know Talbot but last it, season, uh, uh, you know, month or month and a half mm-hmm. into the season. Yeah, well, obviously Koskinen took Koskinen it. started going with it, and then took all it, of a sudden it. it was now which goalie are we going to play in the games? Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly he got you know, under that initial surge under Hitchcock. He was really good. Yeah. In December, so well he can't. He he is weird. He makes a whole bunch of really great saves and then lets into whiffs on a couple that he should have had. Right, he's always, you know, that one where you come out of the corner and he's off the post, and of course the on the glove hand or the where he jumps on it and thinks he has it and, and it dribbles around. So I was talking to both of those guys today actually for for a story, and and Hitchcock still thinks that you know this is still part of the adjustment coming over from Europe, like where. You know, the along the boards in Europe, that's dead time where the goalie can kind of relax just for a second because nothing's coming from there. In the NHL, those boards are so much closer that, you know, shots from that weird angle are, are getting through them. So he thinks, I said, like even at 29, this guy can still learn some things over the summer and come back as a better goalie. And he he's convinced that he can and be great if he did. But like I said, yeah, I would have a plan B just in case this is who he is. Yeah, I was going to bring up, I mean, obviously he's only played how many games in the NHL? But he's, you know, 30 years old. Um, you know, the difference between having a 30-year-old uh, goaltender with, you know, X number of NHL games on his resume versus a guy who's 22. I mean, there's got to be some advantage to that, I suppose. And that, that would be one of them, you know, being able to think you can adjust and hopefully follow through on that. Nobody can fathom why they signed him when they saw, signed him. Right. That's the thing. I mean, what was the big rush? You know, were they are they were they worried that suddenly a team was going to throw five million dollars at Koskinen the end of the season as a free agent? I don't know. I, they could so be it sitting, looks like it. They could be sitting down and doing those negotiations right now, saying, "Hey, how, how does how does two something sound?" Yeah, You'd probably take it. Right? We made two and a half this past year. We'll give you a million dollar raise. We'll give you three and a half, but we're not giving you four and a half. You know, so I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. No, they looked at that free agent pool and said, oh, if we don't get this guy, we might be totally screwed because there's nobody else out there that's A, good, or B, that we could afford. So we, we don't want to be caught flat-footed, so we'll overpay a guy that, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, on Hitchcock, I mean, he was asked on the weekend whether or not he wants to return to Edmonton to coach next year. And, you know, not that it's completely up to him. I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. There's no general manager. But what do you think the chances are? Hmm. Not good. Not good. <laughs> well, because, and, and the optics are when a new general manager comes in, he has his own coach. Mm-hmm. Unless, like the These new, the like orders, the new general manager says, oh, I think I'd just like to see the team for a year before I decide, and on a coach as well. Yeah, I know if it's a if it's an older general manager, you would think he might want a younger coach. If it's a younger general manager, he might want an older coach like Ken Hitchcock. You know, rather than like Kelly McCrimmon might say, I, I'm going to just keep this guy for another year, and Ken's not going to 
gross about another one-year contract. I think they, I think they inherited the contract from Dallas anyway that pays him a certain fee for being an advisor for a couple of years after he coaches. So they they got to pay him a fair wage anyway. So and I think he, I think, I think he's a he's obviously an excellent coach, dealt a not very good hand as Todd McCollin was not dealt a very good hand in terms of the style of player that plays for the Oilers. Uh, Not fast enough. Um, Bottom six players don't give you enough in terms of production. And you see there's so many other teams around the league where they got bottom six guys, you know, get you 12 to 15 goals, and they're in the bottom six. The Oilers hardly have any of those. They did have one Cassian, but now he's on the first line. Rightfully so. It just shows you the gap. Like Cassian should be a really good fourth line winger on a good team, and then there's just so many vacancies above him that suddenly he's on the first line. He's doing well. Like he's he's playing well there, but you know that just shows you how many spots in between first line winger and fourth line winger need to be filled. And on the totally not related, well, not related to the orders directly, but you know, I was struck that. You know, we have an awful lot of coaches who could be coach of the year in the NHL. You know, we've got Barry Trotz doing a heck of a job in New York with the Islanders. You know, a year after winning the Cup with the Capitals, goes to the Islanders. And, you know, obviously Lou Lamarillo's in there as GM. But, you know, the Islanders are going to make the playoffs this year, if not finish first in the Metropolitan. Um, we've got Bill Peters in Calgary, you know, left the Hurricanes, went to Calgary. And the, Calgary, the Flames are making the playoffs their first place, as we talked about. In the West, there's Bruce Cassidy in Boston, Rick Tockett, of course, in Arizona, who has been given a lot of credit for having the Coyotes in the in the hunt for a playoff spot this late in the game, and they could very well make the playoffs. A guy like John Cooper as well with Tampa. I know I'm missing at least a couple more, but it's a very strong field. Who should win? John Cooper. I think it's, they always give it to somebody on a team that they don't think is going to be as good as they are. You're going to get 130 points this year, and you're not, the guy's not the coach of the year. I don't care how good a team he is. That's 130 points. You know How many teams get to 130 points in today's NHL? Not many. You must do something right. I like trots. I mean, <laughs> the Islanders were not supposed to, after losing Tavares, they're like, okay, goodness gracious, they're in a... They have yeah, Robin Lehner's that are starting goalie. Yeah, there's a, a great story, too. Pit here, but, and they don't have a lot of guys that are filling it as, as it is, right? They're just goes from a Stanley Cup, you know, in one city to, to bring in another team. And I don't know that they're a contender, but they're a good team. A little overachievement. Yeah, Matty's right. Like, never does it go to the guy that has a good team and, and makes the most of it and maximizes all of his talent. Let's say they're one at one year, one right. time. Really? Yeah. One time. Yeah. And they the, 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 the popular opinion was, well, anybody could do that. No, they couldn't because there have been a lot of good teams that go in different directions and keeping a keeping a group cohesive and getting skilled players to work that hard and work together and play the right way and commit to defense there's there's some there's some skill in, in getting everybody to buy in like that so it's it's easy to just dismiss it and say well you've got Stamkos and Kutrov and you know these, these. he's the longest tenured coach in the league now I mean that's how, how coaches come and go yeah. he's oh. not coming to the Oilers though who? John Cooper. I don't think he's no, coming no. to the owners. He's not a free agent at the end his of the year. Contracts is he? up at the end of the year. He hasn't. He's con- he doesn't have a new contract. He doesn't. Hmm. 
depends I suspect who the, you'll be. Depends who the GM is. What if they pry an assistant GM out of Tampa? Uh-huh. They had an assistant GM. He's now the GM. Okay. Well, his assistant GM. I'm, I'm just <laughs> grasping his straws okay. here. Just trying to help. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.